And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hodnell. This is the Ken Hodnell Show. <clears throat> Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, today's February 27th, 58th day of the year. 307 days remain to the year's over with. And as you might guess, there's a whole lot of holidays on today's date. International Polar Bear Day, National Protein Day, Anosmia Awareness Day, that's when you lose your sense of smell, Battle of the Oranges, Evria, uh, Clean Monday, Dominican Republic Independence Day, National Albert Day, celebrates everybody who's named Albert, National Kahlua Day, National Pokemon Day. National Strawberry Day. National Susan Day. Celebrates everybody named Susan. No-brainer day. You get a chance to do what Congress does every day. Relax your mind and stop yourself from overthinking problems. Uh, Orthodox Lent begins today. Retro Day. Special Operations Forces Day. The Big Breakfast Day, World NGO Day. Uh, it's observed in over 89 countries and across six continents. And it's also Doctor's Day. Well, in addition to all the holidays and observances, there's a lot of other things that happen on this particular day and his date in history. 380, the Edict of Thessalonica. Emperor Theodosius I, as co-emperors, Gratian and Valentian II, declared their wish that all Roman citizens convert to Nicene Christianity. We have today those who think they are uh, all-powerful rulers, even though they were elected to their positions, but as I heard one individual express it, it was just people recognizing their brilliance. 425, University of Constantinople was founded by the Emperor Theodosius II with the urging of his wife, Eudocia. 907, Abahoi, chieftain of the Gila tribe, is named uh, Kagan of the Kelans. The uh, 1560, the Treaty of Berwick is signed by England and the Lords of the Congregation of Scotland, establishing the terms under which English armed forces were to be permitted in Scotland in order to expel occupying French troops. Then we've got 1776, Battle of Moores Creek Bridge in North Carolina. Breaks up a loyalist militia. That was part of the American Revolutionary War, don't you know? In the 1782 American Revolutionary War, the House of Commons of Great Britain votes against further war in America. We quit. The uh, 1801, pursuant to the District of Columbia Organic Act of 1801, Washington, D.C., is placed under the jurisdiction of the U.S. Congress, which meant nothing would ever get done. Uh, 1809, the action of 
February 27, 1809, Captain Bernard Duberday captures the HMS Persepine. 1812, Argentine War of Independence. Manuel Belgrano waves the flag of Argentina in the city of Rosario for the first time. Uh, 1844, the Dominican Republic gains independence from Haiti. 1860, Abraham Lincoln makes a speech at uh, Cooper Union in the city of New York. That's largely responsible for his election to the presidency and his ultimate assassination. 1864, American Civil War. First Northern prisoners arrive at the Confederate prison at Andersonville, Georgia. 1881, the First Boer War, the Battle of Mahuba Hill takes place. 1898, King George I of Greece survives an assassination attempt. Um, 1900, Second Boer War. In South Africa, British military leaders get an unconditional notice of surrender from Boer General uh, Piet Cronje at the Battle of Paderburg. 1900 also saw the British Labor Party being founded. And football club Bayern München is founded on that same date. 1902, Second World War. Australian soldiers Harry Breaker Morant and Peter Hancock are executed in Pretoria after being convicted of war crimes. 1916, ocean liner SS Mallorca strikes a mine near Dover and sinks with the loss of 155 people. 1921, the International Working Union of Socialist Parties is founded in Vienna. 1922, a challenge to the... Now, you know, interestingly enough, those that wind up leading the socialist movement all wind up being wealthy. It's amazing, isn't it? Socialism means everybody has the same thing, but if you're the leader, you've got more. 1922, a challenge to the 19th Amendment of the Constitution allowing women the right to vote is rebuffed by the Supreme Court in Lesser versus Garnett. 1932, the Mansala Rebellion begins when members of the far-right uh, Lapua movement start shooting at the Social Democrats' events in uh, Mansala in Finland. This was the day in 1933 when the Reichstag fire took place. Germany's parliament building Berlin, the Reichstag is set on fire. Marinus van der Lubbe, young Dutch communist, claims responsibility. Now, there's a question as to whether he actually did it or if he was merely uh, a scapegoat. 1939, United States labor law. Supreme Court rules in NLRB versus Fansteel Metallurgical Corp. that the National Labor Relations Board has no authority to force, a, to force an employee to rehire workers who engage in sit-down strikes. 1940, Martin Kamen and Sam Rubin discover carbon-14. 1942, World War II, the Battle of Java Sea and Allied Strike Forces defeated by a Japanese task force in the Java Sea and the Dutch East Indies. <coughs> Excuse me. Mm. Good Lord. 
1943, the Smith Mine Number 3 in Beer Creek, Montana, explodes, kills 74. 1943, the Holocaust in Berlin, the Gestapo arrest 1,800 Jewish men with German wives, leading to the Rosenstrasse protest. 1951, the 22nd Amendment of the Constitution, limiting presidents to two terms, is ratified. 1962, Vietnam War, two dissident Republic of Vietnam Air Force pilots bombed the Independence Palace in Saigon in a failed attempt to assassinate South Vietnamese President Miguel Dinh Dien. 1963, the Dominican Republic receives its first democratically erected president, Juan Bosch, since the end of the dictatorship led by Rafael Trujillo. The uh, 1971 doctors and first Dutch abortion clinic start performing artificially induced abortions. 1973, the American Indian Movement occupies wounded knee in protest of the federal government. 1976, the formerly Spanish territory Western Sahara under the auspices of the Polisario Front declares independence as the Shirali Arab Democratic Republic. 1988, Sungait pogrom. The Armenian community in Sungait, Azerbaijan is targeted in a violent pogrom. 1991, President George H.W. Bush announces the Kuwait is liberated. 2001, Logan Air Flight 670. A crashes while attempting to make a water landing in the Firth of Forth in Scotland. 2002, Ryanair Flight 296 catches fire at London Stansted Airport, causing minor injuries. Uh, 2002, Vagodra train burning. A Muslim mob tortures a train returning from Ayodhya, killing 59 Hindu pilgrims. 2004, bombing of a super ferry by Abu Shayyaf, Shayyaf in the Philippines. Uh, worst terrorist attack. Kills more than 100 uh, passengers. Also on that same date, Shoko Ashihara, the leader of the Japanese doomsday cult, Ayum Shinriko, is sentenced to death for masterminding the 1995 Tokyo subway sarin gas attacks. 2008, Jama. Islamia terrorist and Mas Salamat Kastari escapes from the detention center in Singapore, hiding in Johor, Malaysia, to be recaptured a year later. 2010, an earthquake measuring 8.8 .8 on the scale strikes central parts of Chile, leaving over 500 victims and thousands injured. Uh, it also triggered a tsunami that strikes Hawaii shortly after that. Uh, 2013, a shooting takes place at a factory in it's now Switzerland, in which five people, including the perpetrator, are killed and five others are injured. 2015, Russian politician Boris Nipsov is assassinated in Moscow while out walking with his girlfriend. That just goes to show you don't go walking with your girlfriend. They can get you killed. And then, of course, 2019, Pakistan Air Force JF-17 Thunder downs Indian pilot Abhinandan. Barthaman's MiG-21 in an aerial dogfight and captures him after conducting airstrikes in Jammu and Kashmir. Well, that's pretty much the end of our little
preliminary segment. You know, we've been talking about a lot of the strange things that happened around this world. And this is a very strange world. It is not near as mundane and humdrum as we would like to believe. You know, going back to, you know, for 10 years I spoke at Roswell for the UFO uh, uh, festival until the dilettantes took over and decided I wasn't uh, politically acceptable since I outsold the leader of the dilettante group um, book for book. You know, and a lot of the skeptics have always said if the UFOs are real, if they really are flying saucers, if they really are aliens from other planets, why don't they contact us? Well, the actual truth, as recorded by the, the ancient historians, is that the, uh, the occupants of the flying saucers have always been in direct contact with millions of individuals, and they actually rule directly over mankind for centuries. In recent centuries, their influence has become more subtle, but it's still there. According to the traditions of many isolated peoples, the first great emperors in Asia were god-kings who came down from the sky, displayed amazing superhuman abilities, and literally took over. And it was a worldwide epidemic of these god-kings between 5,000 and 1,000 B.C. Osiris and Isis walked into the Egyptian valley out of nowhere and just took over. The myths and legends of Greece and India and South America described their their rule of their god-kings. They were taller and more imposing than the men of the time, had long blonde hair, marble-like uh, white skin, and remarkable powers that enabled uh, them to actually perform miracles. They displayed brilliant judgment and wisdom and exercised remarkable organizational abilities. And in most cases, they chose to reside on the highest mountains and hills available and had at their disposal balls of fire and bolts of lightning. And they traveled about the skies in what were referred to as wonderful flying chariots. In southern Europe, it was Zeus and his court of cohorts who held forth for centuries. In India, there was a multitude of gods and demons that appeared and reappeared generation after generation. Others arrived on the scene and also made contributions to folklore from Iceland to Scandinavia. In Central America, we had the legendary Quetzalcoatl, who appeared among the Toltecs. And those that saw him described him as a white man dressed in a long white robe covered with tiny red crosses. He had a beard and, according to Toltec tradition, introduced science and learning to the natives. Okay, now that I have things under control again. You know, when Cortez uh, landed in Mexico a thousand years after Quetzalcoatl uh, reigned, uh, the Indians greeted him with delight, thinking he was the return of Quetzalcoatl, who had said... When he disappeared, he'd be back. And of course, he took advantage of their beliefs and destroyed the Aztec Empire. Now, deep in the wastelands of Australia, the Aborigines still have a myth of uh, one 
Dina, and regard as sacred the petroglyphs carved into rocks depicting tall robed figures. There's supposedly a parahuman group who resided in Australia thousands of years ago. Barosius, an ancient Babylonian priest that I've talked about before, recording recorded the legends of Oannes, a remarkable creature that came out of the waters in the Persian Gulf to educate early men. And uh, this creature was described as fish-like, capable of speaking to men. You wouldn't eat. You'd go back in the evening into the water and come back in the mornings, which sounds to me like somebody going to a submarine and coming back. And the fish-like qualities they talked about certainly could be a scuba outfit. According to the account... uh, Bonus's activities. In the daytime, he used to converse with men, but took no food at that time, season. Gave him an insight into letters and sciences, never kind of art. Taught him to build houses, to found temples, to compile laws, and explain to him the principles of geometrical knowledge. Made him distinguish the seeds of the earth and allowed him, and showed him how to collect fruit. And when the sun set, it was the custom of Oannes to Plunges again into the sea and about all night in the deep. He was described as amphibious. Now Moses, of course, had another kind of encounter when he climbed to the summit of Mount Sinai and received orders and laws from the entity who settled there in a glowing cloud. There's a central legend of the Hopi Indian about the Kachina clan. They were described as a group of beings who weren't people, but spirits sent to help and guide, taking the uh, forms of ordinary people. That's according to Indian historian uh, Frank Waters. Hopi believed they originally came from a red city in the south, and their tribe was guided into what is now the southwest U.S. by the Kachina clan. And these spirit beings taught the, the Hopi occult wisdom, very similar to the occult beliefs of the Europeans and the Africans. And finally, the Kachina left, saying the time for us to go to our far-off planets and stars has not yet come, but it's time for us to leave you. We'll go by our powers to a certain high mountain, which you'll know, where we'll await your messages of need. We're a spirit people, and we won't be seen again by you or your people. But you must remember us by wearing our mask and our costumes at the proper ceremonial times. Those that do so must only uh, must be only those persons who've acquired the knowledge and the wisdom we have taught you. In other words, there's an indoctrination process. The indigenous natives of, of the Americas and Africa and the Pacific all adopted ceremonial dress patterned after the garb of the these entities, just as the robes and trappings of the early churches of the white man were patterned after the dress of the angels and gods who allegedly visited them. Traditionally, only the witch doctrine students of the arcane wisdom of the elementals were permitted to wear these garments and masks. The carefully laid out procedures for the ceremonies and rites of those early people were all dictated by these entities. For thousands of years, they quite literally had the entire human race dancing to their tunes. 
And the impact of these beings upon the human race is indisputable. There's no question about it. All human art began as part of our urge to pay tribute to them. The arts of painting and sculpture and the arts of drama and dance and, of course, the art of storytelling were all products of that urge. It's been impossible to adequately summarize even a fragment of the, this kind of material. Maybe someday some scholar will systematically assemble all these records and establish some order out of the, the existing chaos. The evidence is not as flimsy as this kind of summary might make it seem. Statues of strange oriental-looking figures bearing a striking similarity to the appearance of our contemporary men in black have been found in the ruins of the Olmec civilization in Mexico. We really don't know very much about the Olmecs. First traces of their culture were uncovered in 1939 when archaeologist Matthew Sterling found five gigantic basalt heads in the, on the island of La Ventana. These big heads found in the, uh, on the island of La Venta weighed from 20 to 30 tons each. Ended up to nine feet tall. So somebody spent a lot of time and effort creating them. Each is wearing what looks like a football helmet. And since then, cities and irrigation systems dating back to 1200 B.C. have been discovered in the general area of these heads. An old Mac calendar found carved into the stomach of a eight-inch jade statue begins with the year... 3113 B.C. And uh, according to uh, Gene Reinert in Science Digest, in a 1967 um, issue, that um, calendar was a masterpiece of mathematical and astronomical knowledge created by the Olmecs, not the Mayas, So that makes you wonder exactly who the Olmecs were and where did they all go? You know, archaeologists, which is a, they say it's a science, but in actuality they're making suppositions based on what they dig up. And they've come up with a interesting theory for the uh sexless oriental-like statues. They suggest the Olmecs worship deformed children and that the statues represent Mongolian idiots. I suggest the archaeologists in question go back to the drawing board because would a people capable of creating a masterpiece of a calendar worship abnormal babies? I don't think so. Statues also feature a distinctive cleft in their foreheads, and this kind of tracks with the third eye belief of the European occultism, Tibetan beliefs, and even the mysticism of the Hopi Indians. Third eye is supposed to be part of the brain, which is linked to ESP and cosmic consciousness. Said to give you a direct communication with God. The third eye symbol, which is an eye inside a triangle, is a, an ancient symbol for the deity found in many cultures from Egypt to Micronesia. 
even appears on the great seal of the U.S. on top of the pyramid, which you find on every dollar bill. Kachina clan taught the Hopi that an opening in the head existed so they could talk with God. Um, at one time, trepanation, which is cutting a hole in the skull, was a common practice around the world. And amazingly, many of those who received this, these holes survived. Evidence shows that the, the skulls healed. You know, hundreds of trepanated skulls have been found in Europe and Asia and Africa and the Americas and the Pacific Islands. Many of them date back to 3000 B.C. And as I said, quite a number of them show signs of healing, indicating the patient must have survived what is even today an extremely delicate operation. 370 of these skulls have been found in Europe. But the finest examples come from the country of Peru. The very thought of thousands or even millions of early humans voluntarily submitting to having holes bored in their skulls with primitive flint instruments is enough to make anybody's uh, flesh crawl and to do it in order to talk to God. Some anthropologists speculate that trepanation was used as a treatment to get rid of possessing spirits. But the the universal nature of this, let's face it, sophisticated operation makes this uh, idea unlikely. Now, were all these people seeking to open a door in their head so they could communicate with the supernatural? If this is the case, then I have an interesting question for you. Who taught the human race this process? And why'd they do it? I mean, Ugg didn't sit around the campfire and say, I'm going to cut a hole in so, uh, Joe's head so he can talk to God. Somebody taught them that was a procedure that should be used. And legend after legend from every part of the world were told early man was primitive and stagnant and until the, the God kings appeared. And these mysterious beings introduced writing and laws and agriculture and even the rudiments of stone building and medicine. Early peoples were so impressed and so grateful they dedicated much of their time and effort to preserving images of the god kings and statues and temples and monuments. In fact, many cultures left behind nothing except uh, religious artifacts and carvings detailing their encounters with the gods. Identical beliefs appeared simultaneously in all parts of the world. And that in and of itself is uh, a puzzle. Identical forms of writing suddenly came into practice among cultures completely isolated from each other. The Egyptians weren't the only ones who believed that the human body would one day be resurrected whole and therefore all earthly possessions should be buried with it. Ancient tombs in China and Siberia and South America were also filled with relics for a future life. So the question becomes, how did this relatively complex concept spread to the four corners of the earth. Even the earliest of men weren't so stupid. They could sustain a belief century after century without some kind of evidence to support it. Nor would they be so stupid as to expend their energies and materials and talents building monuments to those beliefs without some evidence that the beliefs were valid. 
that the reasonably sophisticated peoples of India and Greece believed wholeheartedly in their gods for thousands of years. Their records demonstrate that these gods appeared frequently before mortal men, taught them, tricked them, offended them, offered them hope and faith, and cultivated their religions and beliefs. Temples were erected on the spots where the gods had stood from Stonehenge to Delphi. Often recipients uh, were instructed to build a structure on this spot. Gold has always played an important part in the uh, all religions, and most religious buildings are roofed with gold leaf from uh, Buddhist temples to Muslim mosques to Christian cathedrals, which makes it clear we have to ask the question that the mysterious rays of the ancients are somehow able to adjust more easily to the frequency of gold. On holy days, a great part of the world's population gathers under these golden roofs to pray and meditate and maybe have their minds probed by some invisible concentration of energy. That would certainly explain a lot. The modern cults and sciences have seized on the God-King legends to support their own beliefs and conclusions. Atlantaologists prefer to think that Quetzalcoatl and his kin were really from Atlantis. Ufologists have churned out scores of books based on the premise that uh, spacemen visited Earth and gave mankind a helping hand in those distant days. And it is quite true the Kachina clan and most of the other parahumans claimed some relationship to other worlds and far-off stars, particularly the Pleiades. In all these legends, there's another persistent theme. That the god kings mated with mortal women, impregnated them, and started a royal lineage. Tradition claims the blue bloods of royalty actually had blue blood in their veins in early history. Maybe it was a result of crossbreeding. Even today, some royal families suffer from hemophilia. Their blood lacks the ability to coagulate, and even a small cut becomes a serious wound. You know, the mating of ordinary women with supernatural beings is an integral part of all religious lore. It's emphasized in the Bible. Some modern rulers, such as the Emperor of Japan, still claim their family can be traced all the way back to a godlike ancestor. The pharaoh system in Egypt could also have begun in this fashion with a parahuman leader of the early Egyptians turning his rule over to a human offspring. By 1000 B.C., most of the god kings had withdrawn, presumably going off to their legendary mountain hideaways. Their followers assumed, though, that their human descendants were equally wise and possessed of magical powers. And being human, these valuable kings often exploited the fears and beliefs of their people. Later, Pharaoh was successfully masqueraded as gods for centuries. The earth had been divided up by the god kings, each ruling, even owning, if you will, a specific area. And that ownership was passed on to human heirs for thousands of years. A few dozen families literally owned the entire planet. They intermarried and managed to keep the system going until relatively modern times. Now, although the king system degenerated slowly, it really didn't collapse until about 1848. Now, the god kings didn't put all their eggs in one basket, though. They established parallel systems of communication and control by establishing priesthoods and strange secret cults and societies. 
whose main purpose was to perpetuate their esoteric teachings. But again, the flaws in man's basic character eventually surfaced. Greed and the lust for power caused some of these groups to exploit the population. There were periods in history when some of these priesthoods and societies even gained political control in Egypt and other places. It's probable that this happened in the burgeoning South American cultures and may even have led to the downfall of some of the dynasties. A key, a key claim of the early priesthoods was their purported ability to consult with the the uh, the god kings through the use of special plates and amulets and crystals handed down to them. And these artifacts were usually worn about the head and heart during religious ceremonies. In the apocryphal uh, we're told that uh, Joaquin, leader of the Virgin, uh, father of the Virgin Mary, visited the priest and said, "If the Lord be propitious to me, that the plate upwards on the priest's forehead make it manifest." So he consulted the plate the priest wore and saw it, and behold, sin wouldn't found any. Exodus chapter twenty-eight, verse twenty-six describes this plate. Early kings and dictators purportedly consulted with angels and supernatural beings who appeared frequently to advise them. Historical records assert that everyone from Julius Caesar to Napoleon had meetings with mysterious parahumans who uh, materialized and dematerialized mysteriously. Even Hitler was said to have uh, uh, had a run-in with one of the uh, new men. Scared the crap out of him. The sacred crown of St. Stephen is supposed to have been delivered by an angel to a pope who permitted Stephen I to be crowned king of Hungary with it in 1001. You know, the mysterious gypsies sometimes claim their amulets and crystal balls were given to them by uh, some of these unknown entities. Numerous modern flying saucer contactees display uh, tectites and pieces of quartz they say were given to them by Venusians. Ralph Lael, a businessman in North Carolina who once ran for Congress, visited the cavern deep in Brown Mountain under the auspices of the space people. That's according to what he said, and later flown to Venus. And as proof, he was given some chunks of crystal. Now, I'm not sure how they thought that would prove what he had to say, but apparently they thought it would. When Joseph Smith dictated the Book of Mormon to his wife, he sat behind a screen with the gold plates, apparently translating them with the crystalline devices he had found in the stone box. You know, modern UFO contactee writings are filled with enigmatic statements about crystals and how they hold some key to the mysteries of the universe. You know, there are many interpretations of these statements, but uh, nobody's managed to crack their true meaning. The past 20 years, actually the past 40 years, Crystals have suddenly assumed great importance to our technology. We call them transistors. Although Parwells and Bergier shrug off the UFO mystery near Morning of the Magicians, they seem to uh, subscribe to the cultist belief spacemen representing a superior technology once visited the Earth. And then they talk about the cargo cult theory, speculating early man's religious rites were actually based on their observances of the strange behavior of the God Kings. 
God King manipulated the radio and talked to a stick, microphone, if you will, and presto, a fleet of aerial vehicles uh, arrived with supplies. So after the departure of the God King's men, I tried to imitate them by chanting into sticks as well. And as a result, prayer was born. Now, for those that are not familiar with the cargo cult, during World War II, uh, a lot of um, isolated tribes saw aerial battles, and when planes crashed, they found unbelievable riches in the wreckage. It was cargo. So they would pray to the gods of cargo. And entire religions, especially in the Pacific, were born around uh, the activities of uh, aerial battles and the fact that when a plane went down, um, quite often, uh, great wonders were taken by the tribes. Now, the, the ultra-terrestrials, if you will, imitated the appearance of man. And eventually man began to imitate them in his rites and ceremonies. We made masks and costumes duplicating their unusual appearances. We hauled enormous rocks hundreds of miles and carved replicas that are features for our temples and cities. Whole civilizations of Stone builders apparently committed themselves entirely to the service of the God Kings and willingly sacrificed thousands of their own people in bloody ceremonies on sacred hilltops in tribute to the to these uh, mysterious beings. Many centuries human sacrifices played an important role in the religions of all the peoples of the earth. In the Bible, animal sacrifices is described, even Abraham had his son to took his son to a mountain, prepared to kill him, and sacrificed to the Elohim. That's the original biblical word, uh, which is actually a plural and means gods. And it's been, uh, been given singular translation uh, in the modern Bible. Because after all, there's only one God. But in actuality, Elohim means more than one God. The early priesthoods wielded considerable power. Oracles and mediums resided in the great temples, uh, issuing accurate prophecies. And let's face it, quite a few inaccurate ones, and it was uh, also a time of miracles and magic. The priests were the only educated men, and as usual, some were unscrupulous enough to turn a neat prophet from the belief of the people. But gradually, the old tried-and-true methods of communicating with the ultra-terrestrials began to fail. According to legend, there was a great rivalry among the gods. False messengers betrayed the believers and caused all kinds of mischief. So about 500 B.C., a new force began to make its presence known among man. In India, a wealthy young man named Siddhartha Godma fell asleep under a tree, according to the legend. When he woke up, he was filled with a great new philosophy, a new view of man's relationship to the cosmos. Renounced all his worldly goods and set forth to preach under the name of Buddha. 
About that same time, a Persian named Zoroaster underwent a similar experience and founded a great religion. And in far-off China, the great philosopher Lao Tzu created Taoism and reshaped the thinking of the Orient along with uh, another contemporary of his, who we know as Confucius. In the Middle East, several of the biblical prophets, including Zechariah and Daniel, conversing with supernatural entities and undergoing illuminating experiences. And none of these men even knew the others existed. Many centuries would pass before their independent ideas and teachings would spread and sometimes even overlap. But in time, all these men, all contemporaries between 600 and 500 B.C., changed the philosophical and theological structure of the civilized world. And because of them, that century stands as a landmark in the history of this planet. Now, as a result, the old priesthoods deteriorated. Some were slaughtered outright, new beliefs were born. And these beliefs centered around the awareness that there was some force beyond the God Kings, that mankind was only part of a larger pattern, and that individuals were merely an extension of some distant, unknown intelligence. The stage was set for a new conflict, a battle between the old gods and this cosmic consciousness. Muhammad appeared a thousand years later to lead the Arab people away from the old gods, rallying his people with the chant, uh, there's but one God, and that God is Allah. Instead of simply disappearing under the wave of monotheism, the old priesthoods went underground, becoming secret societies devoted to preserving the teachings of the elementals and the secrets of the communication methods. There's already a tangled maze of such societies, such as the Druids, or the, so the old terrestrials had uh, plenty of followers even into the, the so-called newly enlightened age. The Romans were still worshipping their gods on Mount Olympus, and the Hebrews were firm in their belief in Jehovah. And then one day, three expensively robed gentlemen with oriental features walked into the court of King Herod and informed him uh, that a most remarkable child was about to be born somewhere in Judea. Meanwhile, Angel Gabriel visited Mary and told her she was to bear this remarkable child. And finding the three Orientals made their way to Bethlehem, accompanied by a brilliant glowing object in the sky. Now Joseph left Mary in a cave, according to the Proto-Evangelon, where he went to seek a midwife to help with the birth. And then, according to legend, time stood still. Chapter 8 of the Proto-Evangelon states, But as I was going, this is according to Joseph, I looked up into the sky and I saw the clouds astonished and the fowls of the air stopping in the midst of their flight. And I looked toward the earth and saw a table spread and working people sitting around it, but their hands were upon the table and they didn't move or eat. They who had meat in their mouths didn't eat, and they who lifted him up into their mouths didn't put anything in, and all their faces were fixed upward. And I beheld sheep dispersed, and yet the sheep stood still, and the shepherd lifted up his hand to smite him, and his hand continued up. And I looked into the river and saw the kids with their mouths close to the water and touching it, but they didn't drink. Well, 
as baffling as this might be, the stopping of time is common in UFO and psychic lore. It's almost as if the world is frozen like a frame of a movie uh, projected on a screen. Time continues to flow only for the person who is doing the witnessing. When Joseph returned to the cave with the midwife, they found it filled with blinding light. The Christ child was born. Now the birth, life, and death of Christ had been prophesied centuries before. Brethren of the Qumran priesthood even established a regular night watch scanning the skies of Judea in expectation of some sign uh, to be shown in the heavens. Although the exact birth date of Christ remains a controversy, most theologians and scholars believe it was somewhere around the year 4 B.C. That year, according to the astrological records of the Qumran priest, a comet produced a heavenly spectacle. There was a fiery conjunction of several planets in the zodiac sign of Pisces. Pragmatists naturally assumed that the star of Bethlehem was that comet and follows the Velikovsky, uh, it might have been the comet Venus. Now, Jesus' appointed role seems to have been to try to lure the Hebrews away from Jehovah to worship the supermind of the cosmos, the god of the oriental illuminated, illuminated one. And in this, he failed. The Jews have had considerable experience with miracles and false angels, and it appeared they viewed Christ with a little bit of suspicion. The Romans, who occupied Judea, were still worshipping their assortment of long-haired deities, so they also frowned on the activities of this strangely persuasive man. But the sequence of events surrounding the death of Christ provided proof enough to sway many into Christian beliefs and laid the foundation for the great Christian religions that currently the woke left is trying to destroy. An eclipse of the sun through the land in the darkness as Christ hung suspended on the cross. A violent earthquake, which claimed many lives, followed. Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea, later collected the witnesses of these events and had them dictate to scribes what they had seen. And they sent those records to Rome. Interestingly enough, Pilate eventually committed suicide, a man who had everything to live for. The body of Christ was placed in a cave, according to historical records, and a huge stone was rolled in place to seal the entrance. Roman guards were stationed there to keep watch. And they later testified there was a great voice in the heavens, and they saw the heavens open, and two men descend with great light and approach the, the tomb. And that massive stone that was put at the door rolled by itself and made way uh, for them to enter. And the tomb was open, and both young men went inside. And when those soldiers saw it, they awakened the centurion and the elders because they were hard by... Uh, they were nearby, supporting the guard. And as they had seen, again they saw three men come forth from the tomb, and two of them were supporting one, and the cross followed them. In other texts, these two young men are described as wearing brilliantly white costumes, and the soldiers reportedly paralyzed like dead men, unable to move a muscle while the body of Christ was being removed. Later, the heavens again were seen to open in a certain man to descend and enter the sepulcher. Now this certain man remained behind for when the soldiers and followers of Christ approached the tomb, this being told him not to be frightened and advising that uh, Christ had been taken he had risen. 
Now, here we have an extraordinary sequence of events and coincidences. Natural catastrophe struck the exact site, the exact area where Christ died. A group of witnesses heard a sound in the sky, saw a brilliant light, and rendered immobile as two beings descended, entered the tomb, and removed the body. One entity remained behind to make sure that everybody knew what had happened. Later, the, the ghost of Christ appeared before his disciples and to further explain the concept of resurrection. Now, this concept, which can be traced all the way back to the early Egyptian civilization. Now, Christ's ministry was brief, spanned only a few years. He traveled only a few hundred miles and spoke to only a few thousand people. Nevertheless, his impact on human history is undeniable and immeasurable. Buddha and Lao Tzu changed the texture of the life in the Orient. 500 years later, Christ wrought a similar change in the West. A series of minor miracles and visitations and supernatural manifestations reinforced the beliefs of the earliest Christians. They willingly died in the Roman circuses for those beliefs. And gradually, the Pure Christian concepts were absorbed into an established God-King system. Successional religious wars swept their west, claiming the lives of millions. Opportunists and exploiters moved in as the Roman Empire collapsed about uh, A.D. 476, and the, the Dark Ages began. Biblical records were suppressed, censored, distorted, in many cases destroyed. Various churches openly controlled the kings of Europe, manipulated political affairs. By this time, mankind had been misled so often by false prophets and the mischievous ultra-terrestrials that new encounters on any level were harshly dealt with. When Joan of Arc rallied the French people under the guidance of supernatural voices during the Hundred Years' War, she was accused of sorcery and allegedly burned at the stake, though there is evidence that, in fact, it was a uh, someone else who was killed. Radical developments in science and philosophy, which ran contrary to the accepted cosmologies of the time, were regarded as the work of the devil. Galileo was imprisoned for daring to suggest the earth revolved around the sun. European conquerors and missionaries went off to Africa and Asia and the Americas, wantonly destroying whole civilizations and deliberately uh, disposing of their ancient records. Great nations were plundered for gold. Great and noble cultures were obliterated. A large part of man's past was forever wiped away. Humanity's darkest hour, so to speak. But despite the terror of the Inquisitions and the vicious oppression by the monarchies, the secret cults and society survived, and fragments of the ancient teachings and beliefs were preserved. The day of the alchemist was at hand and came with stunning velocity in the 19th century. You know, with the, if you look at everything that happened during the um, the time when the, the missionaries were holding forth in the various countries, what well, was supposed to be a religion of, of peace and love your fellow man wound up being one of the most oppressive um, Uh, meth, um, happenings in history. Fanatics of every stripe join the various religions. You believe my way or you 
don't believe at all. Is this what the God Kings wanted? Because no matter what you look at, you know, Christ, there was an effort made to stamp out Christianity. It was a cult. Practitioners were put to death. But it became one of the dominant religions. That does raise many, many questions that to date haven't been explained. You know, there was a almost a mandate that everybody followed the same rules, the same practices, the same everything. But does your next-door neighbor make strange noises but behind drawn shades late at night? Seen him wandering across a darkened cemetery dressed in a long robe carrying a candle? Could be he's crazy. Then again, he might be one of a number of thousands of secret societies and cults that still flourish everywhere on this planet. If these cults weren't a permanent part of the human condition, it's hardly unlikely Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin would have left their footprints on the moon. And it's equally unlikely we would have been able to watch the event on a screen painted with moving electrons in our living rooms. These secret societies and cults preserved uh, teachings that became the basis of the science that we enjoy today. In fact, many of the true secret cults were founded upon rites designed to conjure up unearthly entities. Over the centuries, various fugitives and defectors in these hidden organizations have published fragments of those rites and beliefs. There are hundreds of fascinating books available that spare out these strange truths. In addition, there's a wealth of so-called inspired literature purportedly dictated by the entities themselves or produced by automatic writing. Now, Ospie, which was a, uh, we talked about in an earlier show, is one such book was typed by a New York dentist by the name of Dr. John Balu Nubro in 1880. And it's some massive work offering a history of the human race plus a complicated cosmology, which amazingly is proven to be at least partially valid. It describes the Van Allen belt or belt of radiation uh, encircling the Earth, which was not discovered until the advent of man made satellites. It also contains long chapters describing prehistoric secret societies. Now, there are isolated groups of rather paranoid researchers who make a hobby of investigating secret societies. Foremost of these are the, the so-called super buffs who believe that a super-secret government runs the entire world. The death rate of researchers is in these uh, groups is unreasonably high, so their paranoia is probably understandable. Factions of the super buffery overlap into ufology, the John Burt Society, and the assassination investigators. You know, in fact, all the fringe groups seem to overlap, even though they tend to ignore or even oppose to each other. You know, each secret society has its own vocabulary and explanations for everything. Each has developed a system of lessons and degrees to educate its members slowly and to lead them upward to their own particular cosmic truth. Some of these organizations, of course, are dedicated to the devil and his work. Others are theologically 
uh, oriented and aimed at acquiring a closer relationship with God, the Orient is filled with such groups, ranging from the esoteric cultists in the Himalayas to the secret assassins of Persia and India. And don't kid yourself, the cult of the assassins still exists to this day. Advanced members of some of the groups allegedly possess powers of teleportation, astral projection. The Lamas of Tibet are supposed to be able to whip up thought forms and elementals at will through the sheer force of their mind. And on that note, we come to the end of today's show. We'll be back tomorrow and talk about more of the strange cults and secret societies that populate our very strange planet. Until then, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great evening. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.